This program covers themes involving child physical, psychological, and sexual abuse, which may be disturbing. Listener discretion advised. You are listening to Historically, a show where we decolonize history and debunk myths and misinformation taught to you in school and on corporate media. I'm your host, Asha. Today, we have Kit Clarenberg here. Many of our listeners and readers may not be familiar with you and your work. So can you tell us a little bit about yourself and how you got into the field of journalism? Um, sure. I mean, my name is Kit Clarenberg. I, I'm you know, a journalist um, and, and my primary research interest is the impacts of intelligence services on, on politics and perceptions. I mean, I think I, I, I always had a, a kind of interest in this particular field for, dating back many, many years. Um, and I think that uh, I never I never thought I would be able to write about it because for the longest time there was you know, zero serious reporting on this in the mainstream. And, you know, apart from fairly niche um, fringe publications there was you know no, there are no platforms to write about it so i mean i'm kind of rather tickled pink of the, <laughs> the the ability to ability to do so now so you're from the united kingdom i i, I am yes okay although as my surname might suggest i'm not you know fully fully british but there we are so you do a lot of in America, we call it freedom of, I guess you, you guys also have your own freedom of information, but you do a lot of freedom of information to see what they did in the past and present. Yeah, I mean, I'm, 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 prim- I'm primarily interested in working with primary source documents, um, which is you know, <laughs> some, somewhat niche field in the, in the field of journalism. That's what exactly I do. I always promise primary sources. Yeah, yeah. I mean, and I think it's 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 such an it's such an important art, and I think that sharing the contents of files as well is is extremely important because so, all, all too often newspapers will, you know, um, you know mainstream uh, papers like the New York Times will say, oh well, you know, documents obtained by you know by this outlet, but then you know not actually. We must redact it for the safety and uh, whatever. And uh, let's not forget how uh, a lot of the Snowden files. Pierre Omidar kind of privatized and actually didn't release get released to many. Well, I mean, the, 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 the Snowden files, a, a, a book could be written on how bizarre the intercepts approach to these files is. So they effectively rent them from Glenn Greenwald and Laura Poitras, and they're held in a extremely expensive kind of private secure server that you know only Greenwald and Poitras and select kind of media empire staffers are allowed access to and the alleged rationale for this is to you know to try and keep the files safe I mean you know the approach of crypto and WikiLeaks to keeping files safe would be to just publish them online you know because that way then you can't get rid of them um, (laughs) pretty much yeah, I mean, uh, so I don't know why we started talking about this, but who do you, are you an independent journalist or do you write for an outlet or do you work for? I mean, yeah, I would, I would say I'm a, you know, I'm an independent journalist. I, I am primarily write for Grey Zone these days. I also do some work for The Cradle, which is a new journal covering West Asia and the Middle East. Um, and yeah, I mean, I'm also you know, hopefully going to be doing um, a bunch more work for The Dissenter, which is a really fantastic publication uh, brought to you by the same people who came up with rather fantastic shadow proof as well. Oh, it, Kevin, um, what's his name? Kevin? Gustola. 
Gastola. Kevin, yes, 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 I remember. Kevin Gastola. So the reason I got very interested in this is a while back, it, I don't know if you know Lily, oh, I can't remember her. Lily Lynch. Yes, from Serbia. Kind of has. I know her personally. Yeah, not, she's not from Serbia. She's American living in Serbia, but she kind of mm. got me. I, I knew about this a while back, but she, she got me peaked on this because she did a long expose on how the Green Party of uh, the Bundes Republic or West Germany covered up a lot of um, child molestation scandals, for lack of a better word. So then your article is a two parter. Well, first thing is the CIA-funded experiment on Danish orphans, as if the CIA can't get any more comically evil. So <laughs> can you tell us a little bit about your work with what happened in the early 60s and 70s? And um, you work with somebody who, I guess you interview or you work with a documentarian who was a victim of these studies. So can you talk a little bit about that? Yeah, sure. I mean, it's a, it's a rather extraordinary story on you know on, on every conceivable level. But so essentially, in the early 1960s, this was at a time when the the CIA had since at least the the, the early 50s, if not you know before, been been running a a, a series of of programs which were concerned with mind control, brainwashing, you know, torture, interrogation. They they see they saw all these things as uh, interconnected, and so. As time wore on, there was a fear within the CIA that this could become public, and obviously there would be this would be you know a huge scandal because you know, overwhelmingly these these the experiments conducted under these programs such as MK Ultra or QK Hilltop, it was based on you know experiments conducted on unwitting un and, and unconsenting people. So you would spike their drinks with LSD to see what would happen, and so in 1963. You have a CIA Inspector General report, which specifically states that, A, we should end this domestically as much as possible, but we should farm this out to other, you know, other countries where there are tests ongoing. And what's more, we should try and conduct this under dedicated operational settings. So, you know, effective or literal laboratories. And so at precisely this time in Denmark, the CIA starts secretly funding a series of experiments, uh, which lasted for two decades at least, on young Danish children, um, including orphans, right? Well, yeah, yeah, it was, yeah, like including you know hundreds, hundreds of orphans, and so you know. The, <laughs> One of the someone who a CIA operative who works on MK Ultra many years later said that you know we we specifically targeted mental patients and prisoners and drug addicts and prostitutes and orphans. But the um, yeah the the, the 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 people they characterized as you know you know people who couldn't fight back and it looks like you know children were were, were amongst this list too and so essentially a number of orphanages in 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 Denmark were were approached by academics and you know they were they were invited to offer up candidates for you know, fairly mysterious trials the purposes of you know of these trials were never explained to, you know or revealed to anyone they were just kind of vaguely told that it was about how children feel and you know. These children were awful, you know, even given, you know, small sums for their participation. Okay, um, hold on. So you describe this child named Per Wenick, and he goes through a lot of rigorous tests. 
like they have him listen to loud noises and screams and then like, I don't know, they just like, it's not a pleasant experience. Can you talk a little bit more about that? Yeah, sure. So, I mean, I mean, yeah, yeah Venick was one of these test subjects. He was, he was just eleven years old, and um, yeah, he he underwent very rigorous ongoing tests, which lasted for about ten years. When you know, for over a decade, and yeah, you know, he was strapped to a chair, electrodes placed on his arms, uh, measuring his heart rate, you know, sweat levels and stuff. It's it's very you know very gruesome kind of invasive human testing, and of course. When you're 11 years old, you don't know very much about anything anyway. So, I mean, it must have been rather peculiar and disturbing. I think the full trauma of of it probably only became you know, apparent many, many, many years later. But very oddly, it seems as if even after the experiments ended, whenever he went to a hospital for, you know, say, like a minor skin complaint or something, this would be reported to the Danish Psychological Institute. And he was never told why. And so if you fast forward... You know, the best part of 50 years later, you know, he's in in 2018, he's at an American film festival and he sees the documentary Three Identical Strangers, which is, a, is an extraordinary film. And I, again, recommend your listeners um, uh, track it down if they've not seen it already. It's a, it's a story of these the, these three boys. Is it a true story? Yeah, it's, it's the story of these, these three boys, the, the triplets who were deliberately separated at birth and then offered up for adoption. By whom? Um, it was uh, it was part of a high, you know, it was a highly unethical, um, you know, secretly state sponsored uh, nature versus nurture study, um, and which country? Is it in the U.S.? Oh my God, that's okay. So he recognized himself. So then, um, for me, the next part is really very interesting because the guy who was treating him, who did his PhD dissertation like had a special waiver so that he didn't have to do a public defense of his thesis? Yeah, I mean it's a standard it's a it's it's a, it's a, it's a standard um protocol that anyone who does a PhD and so the the, the Danish psychologist who worked on this pro, on this project um which was ostensibly Finnish Lusinger yeah, yeah. This was ostensibly, um, it, it was ostensibly about seeing whether people, whether schizophrenia was inherited, and if so, whether it could be counteracted in people or enacted in people. Yeah, yeah, and how you know, and how schizophrenia manifests, and so you know, in, it, it is standard protocol for PhD students to conduct a public defense. It's called a viva of their thesis, um, and this is utterly standard. You always have to, you always have to do it. It's considered a very important part of the PhD process. But this never happened, and of course, in the process, this meant that the the true nature and background of this, you know, these rather hideous experiments remained a secret. And so it was, you know, Venick became aware of this. And obviously his curiosity was just growing and growing and growing as to what precisely was actually actually afoot. Um, he d- conducts you know, some, some fairly deep dives into like kind of local public records and identifies there were 36 boxes of files stored in the base. But then the center starts shredding the documents. 
Yes, I mean, it, it, and quite amazingly, when they learned that he was digging into this stuff, they started. They immediately started, you know, burn, like burning them <laughs> effectively, uh, which is illegal. This is you know, not meant to be done under Danish law, and you know, it's uh, it, it, they would have every reason to want to obscure this because you know, ultimately, this was a highly unethical human experiment conducted on children. I mean, what could be more grotesque than that, right? Which received it around just under a million, a million. Okay, so um, how did the, you explained how they funded it in a very detailed manner? So can you kind of go through this? So they like the CIA set up an NGO called Human Ecology Fund. Yes, I mean, so the Human Ecology Fund was essentially a CIA fund that was specifically to conduct you know scientific research into mind control, brainwashing. Um, torture, interrogation, you know, all, all, all of these grisly disciplines that we've discussed. And so essentially, it primarily provided grants for this purpose, but it also provided fairly benign, unassuming funding to projects to provide a kind of cover to make it appear like it was this legitimate academic kind of in, in, initiative. And so, yeah, the, the essentially, if you read the Kubark, that's a kind of cryptonym for the CIA. What is it called? Kubark, K-U-B-A-R-K. The CIA is kind of torture and interrogation manual, and it talks about, you know, the use of electric shock and threats, sensory deprivation, and, and you know, inducing fear, isolation in um, in prisoners. It repeatedly cites the work of academics who receive funding through the um, Human Ecology Fund. But really strikingly, it, there's an excerpt in, in the manual which refers to, it talks about making a prisoner's defences crumble and then becoming more childlike. Um, and you know, it's considered usually useful to intensify such feelings. So of course, they would have had a research interest on the impact of particular psychological and physical you know, techniques of, of torment on, on children. Um, but then they then like tried to keep themselves hidden. So then they funded this study in Nigeria. Can you talk about that? Yeah, sure. I mean, I think that the <laughs> effectively that the, the, the Human Ecology Fund financed numerous trips abroad for you know academics working in various kind of psychological fields, and it was you know it was in theoretically in order to you know, understand foreign cultures uh, you know better. But you know, I mean, the reality was that this was a collect, you know collecting intelligence. And so in, in Nigeria, uh, there's a there's a tribe called the Yoruba who uh, they um, they use a variety of drugs in their psychiatry um and of course the cia was super interested in this uh just as they were absolutely fascinated with the you know the potential um, capabilities of lsd um so yeah there was a lot of unwitting academics who on you know while conducting seemingly perfectly innocent or you know mundane research activities were actually kind of you know help furthering the cia's understanding and potential you know techniques in the field of torture and manipulation and uh you know uh, mental programming it's really quite extraordinary and i think that the yeah the, if you look at the the uh they're, they're publicly available via various resources if you look at the various grants that were that were allocated by the human ecology fund you know a lot you know, many of them relate to children many of them relate to you know, kind of you know, you know, psychological areas of interest. Yeah, I mean, you can kind of read between the lines a bit um, and come to some fairly disturbing conclusions. Can you talk a little bit about Sidney Gottlieb? 
I can, yeah. I mean, he was a chemist for the CIA who you know, he, he headed the MKUltra program and was also uh, tasked with coming up with assassination plots, targeting, you know, nationalist leaders the US didn't like. Um, and yeah, I mean, he was kind of representative of, the, you know, how the CIA effectively you know, infiltrated the the site the, the scientific community because you know essentially the, he was a uh, Gottlieb was this kind of career you know a government government worker who started started off in you know the kind of Department of Agriculture and he had this kind of scientific background and then slowly but surely you know the, he was kind of brought along you know into the agency by you know Alan Dulles the kind of fascist um, spy master uh and you know yeah this kind of started you know, an effective avalanche and then more and more they started bringing in you know um, people from the academic community wittingly and unwittingly in order to kind of further their you know, nefarious schemes uh yeah and it, it, i mean another example of this of course is uh donald you you and cameron who we'll you know get yeah, getting to later so you give a lot of um, there are first person CIA sources and the Senate committee hearings like about um, MK Ultra. A lot of people don't exactly have a very good idea of what MK Ultra is. It's like people know that it's bad and something to do with the CIA. Can you kind of explain what this project was or is? Yeah, sure. I mean, it's certainly correct that people don't actually know what MKUltra was. And I think that actually even people who are familiar with it are often uh, are often actually in the dark as, as to its kind of true dimensions and purposes, because essentially the, in this was in theory, it was a wide, wide ranging program of, of you know, completely illegal and unethical human experimentation. And yes, it was the notion and kind of established narrative is that this was an attempt to create real life Manchurian candidates. Like what? It's a Manchurian candidate. Oh right. Well, I mean, the Manchurian candidate is a is a rather rather excellent nineteen fifties uh, no sorry nineteen sixties uh, uh, thriller in, in uh, starring uh, Frank Sinatra of all people, and it's essentially it's about these these prison, these soldiers in um, in a war, war with um, Korea. Uh, sorry, it's about these soldiers in, during the Korean War who are, you know, captured and taken to taken to camps where they're brainwashed by the communists into becoming these remote control killers who can mm. you know, carry out assassinations you know, um, on, on command from their, you know, shadowy shadow. Okay, it's kind of like the Battlestar Galactica Cylon idea. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I've not actually seen Battlestar Galactica, but we'll go with that. But the, I mean, anyway. You have not seen Battlestar Galactica? Oh, my God. Okay. So Cylons <laughs> are not human. They're like robots, but then they have a program and they can be remotely activated. So there's a war between humans and Cylons uh, in this like universe. And so Cylons, you can't tell that they're not human, but when they're activated, they can become killers. So, okay. So the, so okay, the so, but, yeah. but that's a sci-fi, but the CIA w- was... Very, that's a very, very accurate um, analogy. But yeah, so I mean, I think that essentially the established narrative is that yes, it was this attempt to create kind of you know programmable remote control killers or a, you know agents using LSD. That sounds ridiculous because that's okay. That's almost the, in in a sci-fi movie. It makes sense, but people are not. <laughs> Uh, yeah, yeah. I mean, I think, but this, but this is the, this is the thing. This is where people, this is where, where, where people kind of come a cropper because, 
essentially, <laughs> that's the narrative. And the narrative is, well, this is a total failure. But the reality is it was actually primarily concerned with torture techniques. And how to get information from people. And in yeah, that- and, 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 so, and, so, and, and in that respect, it absolutely wasn't a failure because many of the techniques which were created off the back of MKUltra research were subsequently, you know, they, they were used on prisoners in Guantanamo Bay and, you know, in CIA black sites. So, you know, I mean, in, in Gitmo, detainees were given mind-altering drugs, you know, as which is exactly what happened on the MK Ultra. So they absolutely weren't. And then the music part with the really horrible heavy metal music for a while. Oh yeah, yeah. There's all sorts of there are there are all sorts of you know your methods of you know depth you know, de- you know deprivation you know sensory deprivation sleep deprivation and the you know the, uh, the the U.S. government is very very keen on on these techniques today. Do you see it even with like solid the systems of solitary confinement? Like it's you know when you have like talk, you know the best part of twenty four hour lockdown for people in solitary. I mean the psychological anguish and you know, destruction that 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 inflicts on people is uh, and it's you know, and it's practiced on on a great many prisoners. You know, all of the January 6th rioters, they've affected the, those that got arrested, you know, quite rightly, um, within, uh, w- you know, within, within days of this, of, within days of uh, that, that fateful day, um, you know, they've been under... What fateful day? January 6th. Who got um, arrested? Uh, sorry? Who got arrested? The, the January sixth riots. Oh, in America. Who, okay, okay. I'm sorry. In the US, sorry. Who were like the, the, who, the people who stormed the Capitol? Like they've been under. It's, it's difficult to have any sympathy for them, but they, they've been under kind of 24 hour uh, solitary confinement since you know, since, you know for, for coming on for well, well over a year now. So I mean, I think that the, yeah, the impact it must be having on them is you know really quite monstrous. But anyway, that's by the by. I mean, I think that yeah, that essentially. These experiments absolutely were not a failure. They have enormous relevance um, to this day. And um, yeah, they so, were- um, I'm looking at your document and it says that so some barbiturates disrupt some defensing, defensive part patterns and may sometimes may be helpful in eliciting information. And then they say that some other drugs like do other things like make people relax. Like, so it sounds like, for their purposes of getting some kind of information, whether or not it's accurate, it did work. Yeah, I mean, yeah, I mean, I think that that's that again. That was one of the key reasons that uh, you know waterboarding, etc., was employed at CIA black sites was they could make these people say you know whatever they wanted them to say. I mean, Abu no, sorry, not Khalid Sheikh Mohammed, even um, who you know is widely regarded as the, you know, the the mastermind of the 9-11 attacks. A lot of our understanding of the planning of 9-11 is based on things that he said while he was enduring the most kind of you know, unimaginable torture, you know, conditions under which you know anyone would say anything. And you know, he admitted to plotting to blow up buildings that hadn't even been built and didn't exist at the time of his arrest. And you know, and and, and, you know, and you know, ended up naming a large number of people as co-conspirators. We have absolutely no idea whether they actually were. They were only able to try one person, and then they had to. He was deemed not guilty. And of course, when you use all this like evidence to torture, you can't try anyone because you don't have any evidence to, that will be allowed in court. <laughs> Yeah, and this is, but it's the same with you know, Abu Zubaydah. The reason that he is, they call him the forever prisoner. You know, the reason that he's the forever prisoner is that the CIA specifically said, well, you know, we're going to, we're going to carry out the most, you know, heinous torture on this guy. There's no way. That, the, um, the, the, essentially, the, the CIA sought and were granted assurances that he would never, ever be released. 
Um, and the purpose of that was to ensure that, you know, he didn't, he wasn't able to go public with, you know, what happened to him, even though we actually do have a, a fairly good idea of, of the extent. Well, you know, he, he was, has an eye missing, which is not normal. He, was placed, he, has, he had this fear of cockroaches, so they placed him in for, for like two weeks in a coffin with lots of cockroaches. It's just, it's just, it's just kind of just utter, utter barbarity, as you say, it's kind of it's almost comedic levels of evil that just that you would do that to someone. But anyway, but they, you know, in his regard, he gave his interrogators a large number of names and a bunch of information and, you know, was initially kind of touted by the Bush administration as this kind of key orchestrator and trainer in, within Al-Qaeda. But then there are, there, are, there are people within the FBI who think that he was just like a safe housekeeper. Sometimes I wonder if it's because they don't actually want to talk about who created Al-Qaeda and who did the operation. Oh, yeah. No, no, yeah, exactly. If you create a false trail of evidence as you know, pointing people away from Alex Station in respect of the lead-up to it's very valuable. Okay, apparently Esha has been filling out FOIA requests about MKUltra and not grant applications to them. So we need everyone to subscribe to our Substack to help us with rent this month. So head on over to historically.substack.com and subscribe to our newsletter and listen to previous episodes of our podcast. That's historically.substack.com. Also, check us out on YouTube and Twitch with Late Nights with Lennon. Get commentary and trolling techniques from the absolute master of the form. It is what is to be done. Okay, so now what is QK Hilltop? QK Hilltop, it, this was one of many, this is one of several uh, mind control programs. So there was there was Bluebird, Artichoke, uh, M- MK Ultra, and, and then this was all rolled into one, which was MK Ultra. But then subsequent to this, it became MK Delta, which is, and this is, this is, this is what's really interesting, and is that essentially we do have a large amount of files available on MK Ultra, whether that's anywhere near, near the full kind of, is it because of the Senate Church Committee hearing? Yeah, yeah. I mean, and I th- the, um, the Richard Helms, who was the CIA director, he had, uh, you know, he ordered all paper related to MK Ultra mm-hmm. be burned um, it, uh, around the time of Watergate because he, he did he thought that there would be, you know, that the lawmakers might start looking into into the program. But this is what's interesting is we do have thousands of pages available on MK Ultra. MK Delta, which is essentially this was the name of MK Ultra when it was taken overseas, i.e., you know, at the start of the 1960s. And it, it is stated that MK Delta achieved advances in interrogation theory. But then aside, aside that's referenced in the 63 Inspector General report that I mentioned earlier. But aside from that, we have virtually no records available on MK Delta. And I think that would be really, you know, that would be extremely useful. I think more generally, then there is a need for a great many uh, countries allied to the US for them to, to hold, you know, independent public inquiries into whether their, you know, whether their systems of, of academia and, you know, health and psychology were abused by the CIA for nefarious illicit purposes. I mean, so for instance, you know, Sweden. So the one very illicit purpose is basically the Bundesrepublik Deutschland, or the West German Republic, which was basically, a, a, I mean, it was made up of a lot of, um, if you can call them that, former Nazis in power. Yes. Um, so let's talk about Helmut Kentler. 
That's from your second article. Yeah, 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 yeah. I mean, you mentioned Lily Lynch. Um, uh, that, I mean, she's written a fantastic series, and I, I would I would strongly urge readers to to get to see, see this out. It was a it's a series of articles covering. Um, you know, the West Germany's um, Green very... Party. She, it, it, she doesn't cover Helmut Kentler as much, but anyways. No, but I mean, it just is more generally. I think that she she talks about this kind of what the, <laughs> this this scandal, which you know uh, people dare not speak of for decades, you know, until relatively recently, in which actually you know great swaths of of, of German society, you know, political parties, newspapers, youth groups, you know, uh, activist movements, all embraced paedophilia or you know what they would what they would call child sexual liberation uh, okay um s- slow down so can you tell us about first for people let's pretend that like m- most people don't know anything so let's talk about who helmut kendler is and what the pedagogical center he established was um all right so yeah so essentially um helmut kendler uh, he was a he was a psychologist um, who, at the start of the 1960s in, Germ- in West Germany, was advocating for placing vulnerable youths in the care of paedophiles. Wait, wait, was he doing it openly in the 1960s or w- was it that he established a center and then was doing it secretly? Oh, no. I mean, so that there are two strands to this. So essentially... Number one, he was very publicly advocating for this. He was enormously influential and well connected, and he was um, it, so. And he had the ear of lawmakers and academics and you know, educational institutions and, and everything. And so, from the start of the, uh, in the 1960s, he was advocating the creation of. Uh, yeah, he was advocating a policy whereby yeah, vulnerable youths should be placed in the care of paedophiles because he argued that these would be loving environments uh, that would that would you know integrate at risk oh my uh, children. Okay, so uh, the thing that shocks me is we have been thought of to think of like Willy Brandt as like a soft one, not one like Conrad Adenauer who is like totally a, a fascist, but. Brandt endorsed this and gave the center like a multi-million dollar budget. What happened? Yeah, I mean, I think that the, you know, he was at this time, Brandt was the mayor of of West Berlin. And essentially, you know, yeah, he he was very, very, very keen on Kentner's ideas uh, and and wanted to to provide Kentner with a platform to, you know, uh, yeah, do research, pretend you know, come up with tests and pilot, you know, pilot programs, which could be rolled out, you know, nationally and in various different regards related to uh, education. And um, you know, it, it, the, the, one of the pedagogical centre's um, uh, key founders and planning committee members was James B. Conant, who was the the first U.S. ambassador to West Germany and an advisor on educational issues in West Berlin um, during the 1960s. And by this time, Kentler was open about. About the idea of placing children with pedophiles. Oh yeah, 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 completely. I mean, I, I mean, when these experiments were at, were were greenlit, he kept quiet publicly about them uh, because it was still effectively on, on the various terms of the German constitution. It was completely illegal, and it's on a moral term, it's t- completely psychotic. Yeah, the, I mean, I think that the more generally, it is a, yes, as you say, it is a completely psychotic idea. So the first thing is, um, who is Helmut Kentler and what is the pedagogical center? So Helmut Kentler was a psychologist. He was an extremely well-connected uh, figure. He had very strong connections 
with uh, lawmakers, uh, educational institutions. Yeah, uh, he, he was essentially regarded as a, you know, this kind of groundbreaking maverick who was coming up with all sorts of ideas for um, you know how how to improve West German society. And I think that the, the, what's important to consider here is that there is a backdrop from you know, modern Germany is no different. West Germany was an effective Western, you know, kind of US, UK, but primarily US colony. And in uh, at the end of the, uh, of the Second World War, there were numerous uh, there are numerous high-profile figures, uh, Donald Ewan Cameron, who I mentioned uh, before, who was, who was connected to MKUltra, who effectively were utterly convinced that the that Germans were, unless they were subject to heavy social engineering, uh, they would uh, attempt uh, another war. Um, <laughs> and it's, just, and it's, it's, it's so funny as well, because it's just... Like, but then, wait a minute. In that case, why did they put... At uh, like uh, so many Nazis back in power, including like uh, uh, we we actually wrote um we we actually wrote an article about this. And historically, if they were really worried about them starting another war, they would not put so many Nazis in power. So um. Yes, I mean it's a very it's a, it, it, it's it's funny as well because I mean yes the, the German intelligence structure was based on a bunch of ex-Nazis that the, the the Americans was was were running as informants in the eastern in East Berlin um, and you know uh, all of these uh, you know figures with absolutely heinous um, Nazi backgrounds and then you have uh, Alfred McCoy who is the governor of governor of West Germany who is you know um, he's an American. Yes, yes, he was American. And so this was lost. before they authorized the election in 1948, which was a highly controlled election. So he also believed that the German people are unable to not start a war if they don't have like a, what is it you said? Major major psychological reorganization and social engineering. But I mean, it's, it's also ironic as well, because you have, essentially, it was based on this idea that Germans are naturally predisposed to dictatorship. They are naturally <laughs> aggressive. They are kind of. They have this. They have this. They have a desire for strong, you know, strong leaders, and that they and that they crave war and they dislike foreigners. And then it's just like this is coming from Britain and America, really. Yeah, like, <laughs> and then yeah, like East Germany started zero wars, and they had a really nice communist uh, actual dictatorship of the proletariat. So clearly, it's um. The Nazis. <laughs> yeah, but it, I mean, also you've got to bear in mind that the uh, the the idea that the I mean, you know, for the longest time Germans were not considered white. Well, even then, Germany itself was not like a natural occurrence. It was like forced together in the Treaty of Versailles. Yeah, I mean, it's yeah, you have the, yeah, the, um, the it's after the Franco-Prussian War, and it's the, 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 essentially it was so large and sprawling, and because of the Cold War, Germany is often thought of as a West German country. No, it is a Central and Eastern European country, and all that implies. Um, but anyway, the, the yeah, so it's essentially there was a wide-ranging campaign of social engine of kind of social engineering that was that was practiced throughout you know in west germany for much of the cold war you know like berlin Ber west berlin was effectively ground zero for this and then you also have at the same time an enormous you know kind of cultural cold war where the allies the western allies wanted to present this picture of the West as, you know, creative and avant-garde and, you know, kind of rather than the kind of stuffy, boring, grey, depressing Soviet Union, you know, everything was colourful and vibrant. Have we have been, have 
haven't. They've literally never been to Russia. Everything looks like a candy-colored building. <laughs> Everything's too colorful. Yeah, I know, I know. Uh, <laughs> but the uh, but essentially, yeah, the, the uh, it's it, um, so yes. The, 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 so that there, there was an enormous amount of you know intent, you know, covert support, but from but by the CIA and MI6 for artists and you know kind of you know culture more generally, and and then you know and so the, the German government also was pumping vast amounts into the arts like you know you had directors like Rainer Werner Fassbinder who who made you know in 20 years you know dozens and dozens of films and tv you know tv shows plays uh, you had state support for musical artists there was a special form of of, of uh, unemployment benefit where if you were an artist you got paid more than if you were just you know out of work so yeah and i think that out of this kind of you know this 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 is a kind of this wider environment there is this notion that kind of liberalism you know kind of yeah uh, liber- liberalization and experimentation and uh, uh, you know, in, in all fields was you know the art was what was what was going to stop the resurgence of fascism and you know this this applied to this applied to sex sexuality as well although this is completely ridiculous because you know why weimar germany was obviously you know very sexually liberated and then you know that <laughs> and we have a study where it shows that people in east germany had better sex but that's another story um yeah yeah <laughs> Yeah, but uh, <laughs> but anyway, the, the, but the point is, sorry, but I think that yes, that there was so essentially all, so many different elements within West Germans, within West German society, uh, ended up effectively advocating and often quite aggressively for yeah, like child sexual liberation. Uh, so it's certainly you know, Kentler was a particularly egregious example of this, but I think that it was just more widely and generally this absolutely insane idea that that, that the the uh, you know sex between adults and children was a positive thing. Okay, so hold on. Um, the article you linked to said that this practice went on for almost thirty years. So when was the last child adopted out into for out to a pedophile? I mean, yeah, the, 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 the I mean, the, the, the last known instance. So essentially a network of pedophile foster homes was created across West Germany. And, you know, it is it's just absolutely extraordinary to take an example of one pedophilic foster parent um he's named in a university report i cite in my article he's called you know, fritz h which isn't his real name and you know he ran his foster home for 30 years in that time he looked after 10 youths often several simultaneous and he, he's just one of, of of a great many and i think that this is it bears repeating that you know this is this is not well researched there's very little information on this in the public domain uh, very little serious work on it's been done in fact actually you know the narrative that kentler had you know well-intentioned if utterly misguided views on this has been pervasive that yes he genuinely believed that oh well i'll help you know, um, bring love and affection to these children's lives. Like, no, it's quite clear that this was always about facilitating the sexual abuse of children. So, um, and the Social Democratic Party or the SPD cooperated with this. What? Why? What was going on there? Okay, so I mean, I, I, this this might be. The, the, I, 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 sh- I should be at pains to say that for the second, my second instalment is it's certainly not a slam dunk evidence wise. I just thought it was worth presenting what known kind of kind of facts uh, and kind of coincidences and anomalies. So essentially, yeah, the, the SPD it was 
prior to um it had a kind of radical marxist tradition um and in the wake of world war ii you know, the burgeoning American empire had a massive vested interest in preventing the kind of proliferation of, of true kind of progressive radical politics. So as such, it you know heavily infiltrated the SPD um, and, you know, it manipulated and directed its platform. You know, it, the SPD in, in the late 1950s kind of jettisoned you know, all commitments to challenging capitalism and just it, instead of, you know, a, a, you know, a socialist re- revolution, it would be you know a, a kind of more moral management of existing capitalist structures so you know social democratic and this is what you know this is what we now refer to as european social democracy when we talk about you know a strong welfare state but you know nothing too radical um and you know uh, you, you bend over for um you know uh, uh, okay so um th- okay so th- you talk about a, a, a second child who also testified that basically he was abused and the man kept child porn around and even used him to film child porn. Like, I mean, I mean, yeah, I mean, I, I mean, I, I, the, the, yeah, the, he, he, he was placed with the, the by the Berlin directly by the West West Berlin di- district office into the home of a a paedophile and subjected to you know significant um, you know I mean absolutely heinous uh, abuse and assault. Um, he found you know child porn um, and he wrote numerous letters to authorities alerting them about this and that no action was taken. I mean it's the same with the other two boys who were placed with this Fritz H individual who you know would would they, they they suggest that you know Kentner had a you know, direct influence on on the abuse that was uh, inflicted upon them and you know that there were numerous there were, they repeatedly tried to raise the alarm with you know um with authorities about this and you know child psychologists etc and nothing was ever done so i mean quite clearly there's a lot of people who were committed to you know this kind of conspiracy of silence around this um whether that speaks to the fact that it was you know cia directed or not i don't know but there needs definitely need more people need to be held to account for this and there needs to be far far greater delving done into this and you know <laughs> you know all documents on you know, on this utterly egregious period in, in human history need to be released for you know public you know, public scrutiny because it's just it just it just boggles the mind actually the dimensions of this and the fact that yeah it's only really now that we're that this is being critically you know investigated in respect of this kind of this all the kind of public scandal kind of began in in May 2013 when one of the founders of the Green Party received the received an award and then you know it was furore erupted when people highlighted various things he'd written in an autobiographical book in the 70s where he talked about you know, uh, various kind of sexual experiences he had with children and his kind of ecstatic delight that the children often initiated them themselves. Yeah. And it's just like, it's just, you know, it, it just bo- it boggles the mind. And it's, the, you know, the, both articles were very difficult to write, you know, extremely difficult to write for different reasons. And I imagine they will not be easy, easy reads, but I think that the, for many, for many people, but, you know, this, this, this stuff needs to be critically examined because, you know, if, if experiments were happening, you know, less, if these experiments were continuing, you know, less than 20 years ago, and may well, 
you know, still endure very quietly and secretly in certain places, then you know, we have a right to know. Um, I think that you know, um, you know, it, there needs to also just more generally be a, a a wider reconsideration of the influence that we allow, you know, um, um, American military and intelligence structures within within our countries. You know, Germany is effectively, as I said, a colony of the U.S. It is heavily occupied. There, it has hundreds of U.S. military installations and indeed U.S. nukes on its soil. The overwhelming majority of the public do not want this. Oh, okay. Well, um, so in 2013, this kind of came to light because this name guy named da- Daniel Cohn Bendit was a uh, he written a, a creepy book. Even apparently, like respectable magazines like Der Spiegel had naked 11-year-olds on the cover and stuff like that in the 1970s. Yeah, I mean, that's like I said, it was just, it was so pervasive. And it's like, but yeah, there was this, when, I mean, so when Kentner died in 2008, there was a, um, uh, there was several obituaries that were, you know, very positive, very sympathetic. So, you know, and Tageszeitung, which is this Berlin daily, it, you know, it said that Kentner was, you know, a, a meritorious fighter for permissive sexual morality. And then, you know, years later, the same magazine has to admit that, uh, yeah, that we basically provided a platform for paedophiles and pro-paedophile organisations to, you know, voice their perspectives without challenge. Um, you know, and it's just, I mean, you know, the, FD, the FDP, the, the Free Democratic Party. This is why I say it's it's not purely the, the, the you know, it's not purely the Greens. Like the Free Democratic Party, it openly welcomed pederasts, you know, in the eighties to its ranks. Its youth division supported you know, removal of of uh, restrictions forbidding sexual abuse of teenagers from from the country's constitution. And it you know, it, it ran campaign ads in the eighties, citing obtaining government funding for paedophile lobby groups as one of their key achievements, and the Declared, you know, that they ran on the slogan, the taboo is broken. Oh, my God. This reminds me of Nambla from South Park, but it's real. Yeah, yeah. yeah. But I mean, Nambla was a real thing as oh, well. Oh, really? Yes. But that, like, <laughs> yeah, it's a, it's, it's a very real thing. It was established in the late 70s. Okay, so they actually, okay, so what was the party again in Germany that allowed um the Democrat, what was it called again? The FDP. FDP. Free Democratic Party. Oh my God! And then they ran TV. Okay, um, TV ads. I'm gonna look this up, and if there's one, oh my God. Um, so when you look at 1980s U.S. media of Germany, you don't see all this. What you see is like, oh, no. two people tried to escape the wall, but they didn't. Ha ha ha. Mostly that, and it's like a lot of obsession about what didn't happen in East Germany. Yes. About about Stasi, the Stasi spying on the Greens. Well, the Stasi should be spying on these people. <laughs> no, but it's just that's the thing is it's it is it's complete it's completely insane. And I think that the re- and it's it's there's there's you know, there's no palliation and, and no excuse that can be you know, reasonably offered. But I think that yes, that like you know essentially the, the ideas of Wilhelm Reich were kind of fundamental in this as well because he you know he subscribed to the view you know, very, very much to. You and Cameron's the MK Ultra Doctors review um, uh, views that, that uh, essentially that there was they they kind of worked in tandem. So Wil- Wilhelm Wright was yes this kind of Austrian psychoanalyst who wrote 
book, he wrote books about sexual liberation and indeed fascism. And his thesis was, yes, that the suppression of sexuality went hand in hand with obedience to authoritarianism. But then it's like, again, you know, the Weimar example proves that this is just not true. But the, so essentially, yeah. The, and so does like almost every Eastern European country, because there are a lot of them were very religious, conservative, like Romania and stuff like that. <laughs> yes. Yeah. And it's just like, and, and you know, so essentially, that I think that as Germans and indeed just Europeans more generally try to you know come up with an excuse as to why you know Nazism happened rather than it being you know a kind of fairly logical and you know fairly you know fairly logical and actually not particularly unexceptionable example of you know European um, you know, white supremacy like you know <laughs> and capitalism mainly it was basically people like the industrialists like literally put hitler in power because he was good yes for them. yeah and it's like you know the, the 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 nazi race law was based on was based on u.s race law and the, the, the only areas where it diverged was the, the nazis thought the german law was too harsh sorry, u.s law was too harsh oh, oh yeah yeah I, there's an article about that where nazi prisoners of war are in texas and they're like horrified by that racism in texas and you're like yeah 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 it's extraordinary it's, extra it's extraordinary and like yeah so it's, it's, it's like, like yeah, you're a nazi <laughs> And you're okay. So it's like Texas, yeah, and it's like you know, it's like I said, it's like you know, the 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 the, 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 the Germans were not viewed as white. In fact, yeah, the, the British viewed them as racially inferior to Indians. Uh, I don't think so. Um, but sure. Um, no, that was. I mean, it was what it, it was in in terms of their hierarchy. Like, okay, I mean, I'm not saying that the, the treatment of, of Germans was better than was better. I mean, sorry, the, the treatment of Indians was better. Oh no, absolutely, I mean, it was not. Utterly, it was utterly barbaric. It's like if you think about how the you know the, the the absolutely shocking psychopathic contempt that the Europeans had for Indians, then that should tell you something about the perspectives on Germany around the time of the two world wars. But anyway, the, the, sorry, the, the the point is yes that so they were basically okay. So what you're saying is in the Western like. Okay, in the Soviet zone, it was super easy to not get fascism. All they did was everyone who was not a fascist banded together and had a unity ticket, and then they just yeah, and then they and then they stopped all the Nazis from yeah they 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 they, they, they conduct the Soviets conducted an extremely effective purge from all sec all aspects of society. I mean, no, 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 not the Soviets. East German government conducted that purge. Um, the Stasi's. But in the West, they were like overly trying to control this and they were trying. It seems like they were trying to find every excuse possible other than yes. uh, there's not enough democracy. Like it, it, basically, if they had legalized the Communist Party there, they wouldn't have had these problems. So is it a self justification of like, OK, we're going to keep capitalism status quo now we're gonna have to find these other thingies to stop capitalism from going fascist or whatever yeah 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 i mean i think that yeah what it boiled down to was a it was the you know i mean we've seen so many different rationalizations for why the nazis were the way they were like you know oh they were all on amphetamine oh it's because they were gay oh like oh yeah all of these these the the, the, the you know these um these arguments when actually the reality is is that they were not particularly grotesque or, or, or you know given the kind of time okay no not compared to anyone in any colonizer yeah 
Yeah, 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 yeah. They were they were they were not exceptional, like you know, at the time in in, in terms of their views. But then it's so essentially the idea that oh well, you know, like if we're all just sexually liberated, this won't happen again. That you know, that was a kind of it was a compelling sales pitch, I think, you know, for people who were just unwilling to actually face up to reality. And so yeah, this led to hit you know, right writings being you know, distributed, you know, in, in, in like you know, <laughs> school dormitories and stuff. Yeah. And it's really it's it's really quite it's really quite extraordinary. But yeah, so essentially this the, the resurrection of his ideas were you know no doubt extremely welcome to the occupying you know the occupying british and americans um and so yeah the, i suspect at the, at the very least that it was well known you know what was i mean because it was so pervasive they couldn't have not known it was well known that this was being touted as a kind of panacea or uh solution to to the problem of the problem of fascism and you know just allowed it to go ahead Oh, okay. So just curious. So what are you, uh, what projects are you working on next and where should we expect to find your future articles? Okay. I mean, like, so I'm, I'm working on another piece on MK Ultra, which is related to the kind of the racial aspect of, of the test, which has never been um, previously uh, investigated in, 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 with any seriousness, but it was, uh, you know, like they specifically targeted black Americans um, and they were given, they were consistently, you know, treated even more abominably than, uh, than white test subjects. And so that's, there's a kind of long read I've got coming. It's been a long time coming, which should, should be uh, released via grace on, um, in the next few weeks. You can follow me on Twitter, which is just Kit Clarenberg. And I also have a, a sub stack and links in my bio. Okay. Well, thank you so much. Reading your article brought chills down my back. It was disturbing, yes. but I felt like it's important for people to know. Yeah, it's no, I mean, that's what, like I said, it was, it was an extremely harrowing at times thing to have, thing to do. I think it was important. Um, and I, and I, 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 as I say, I hope that this is just the start of a major reappraisal of this absolutely obscene <laughs> period in, in, you know, in, in human history. Um, not just recent history, but, you know, in the entirety of human history. And I think that there needs to be, yes, serious investigation. Inquiries with subpoena power who can you know, demand evidence be turned over, prevent it being shredded, and, you know, call, call witnesses and make them testify on their oath. Because, and people should, you know, like, leak documents that they have. Oh, yeah. I mean, well, you know, look at the Citizens Committee to investigate the FBI, you know, like break into offices, steal this stuff, like get it out. There. I'm not going to advocate for that because that's kind of illegal, but that's how they got the, oh, we had another interview with um, Robert Squarla, and that's how, what was the domestic COINTEL profiles got released? Oh, sorry, yes. Yes. Uh, yeah, that was how, that, I mean, I mean, yes, I wouldn't advocate anyone to break the law either, but it's like, you know, the, uh, yeah, the, the, the oh, way. You don't have to tell. do the disclaimer. Um, I have to, cause, uh, I don't want to get banned yeah. on Apple or whatever. No, no, I mean, <laughs> I, mean I, yeah, I, I don't, I don't want to end up in Dalmarsh prison, but the, I mean, so, but essentially that, yeah, the, uh, yeah, the, um, the, the citizens committee to investigate the FBI, they broke into the FBI's offices and they stole all of the papers related to COINTELPRO. And, you know, this was an extraordinary, um, <laughs> an extraordinary exposure. If, if it wasn't for their extremely courageous actions, we would be probably be in the dark today. Yep. And please listen to our episode with um, Robert Squarla for more detail about that. He's 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 he's, he's absolutely fantastic. He's um, his, his work is absolutely extraordinary. Have a really good weekend. You too. Thank you again. Take care. Bye bye. Bye. Music for this show is done by Rectex. 
You can find him on SoundCloud and on Spotify. W-R-E-C-K-T-E-C-H. And thank you for listening to our show.